Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. What is the perfect job? The idea that we should expect to find everything, happiness, financial wealth, personal fulfillment, and a sense of community all in one place seems like a noble goal. But what if it misses the point? The the pandemic and technological shifts like the rise of AI have a lot of us thinking about our careers in a new way. And this hour on Detroit Today, we'll take a look at our relationship with work and whether we might be better off reimagining our expectations in the workplace. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. WDET's live broadcast of Detroit Today from the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference is made possible by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today. 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. What do you want to do when you grow up? What is your dream job? I remember adults asking me that question a lot growing up, but honestly, it's still something I ask myself these days. When I was younger, the answers were really easy. At the top of the list, President of the United States, coming in at a close second, owner of the Detroit Lions, possibly general manager as well. But as we grow older, as we both become shaped by and learn more about the world around us, our priorities change. What may have seemed important once before might not be quite as important now. Recent challenges and changes in our world have many of us thinking about how work fits into our lives. From the pandemic changing the face of work as many of us knew it, to the rise of artificial intelligence and chat GPT causing many of us to wonder if our job might even still exist in five to 10 years. It is easy to understand why we here in Southeast Michigan may be rethinking our relationship with our careers. But while we're doing that, for one author, it might be time to also rethink the fundamental question in the first place. The idea of a dream job. It may be so tantalizing that we think this is what we should be aiming for. But could it be causing us undue stress? The idea that we should expect to find everything, happiness, financial wealth, personal fulfillment, a sense of community, you name it, all in one place, seems like a noble goal. But what if it misses the point? Simone Stolzoff is a designer, workplace expert, and author of the recent book, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work. In it, he argues that expectations like these cause us to have an unhealthy relationship with work and instead argues that we might be better off simply searching for and keeping a job that is good enough. Simone, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having you. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm saying your name right, though, because I heard that people who know you well get to call you Simo. Have I reached Simo status yet? You can get into the inner circle if you just uh, spend a little more time on the air with me right now. All right. Well, I will take you up on that bet because I'm really fascinated by this idea of the good enough job. But I think that could mean many things to many people. So before we get to why you even unpacked this and why you even got into this idea for you, what does the good enough job even mean? 
for me, a good enough job is a job that allows you to be the person that you want to be. One thing I like about the term and the framework is that it's intentionally subjective. So maybe your version of a good enough job is a job <clears throat> that pays a certain wage, that pays a certain amount of income. Maybe for someone else, it's a job that has a certain title or is in a certain industry. But maybe for another person, it's a job that gets off at a certain hour, that lets them pick up their kids from school at 3 p.m. every day. Whatever your definition of good enough is, I hope people recognize when they find it because then they can start to convert some of that energy that they might spend wondering whether they're in their dream job or the perfect job into their lives outside of the office. Why do you think it's important for us at this point in time, especially to be reframing our consideration? You know, the history of America, a lot of ideas, the Puritan ideal, the work ethic, uh, making America a great place, a lot of productivity. We were founded on a lot of those ideas. So this would be a marked switch from that. Why do you think now is the time for us to be reimagining and reconsidering our place with work, moving from the idea of the perfect job to the good enough job? But simply, I think it's because workers have often gotten the short end of the stick. When we expect our jobs to be perfect, to be a dream, it creates this massive expectation and a lot of room for disappointment underneath it. And as many workers have found out, especially during the pandemic in the last few years, if you treat your work as your sole source of identity and meaning, it can be a risky game. If your job is your identity and you lose your job, what's left? And then another argument is about the value of investing in other sides of who we are. In a work-centric existence, often our lives get shoved into the margins. But we're more than just workers. We're also citizens and neighbors and friends and parents and community members. And if we are only treating our job as our identity, it can neglect these other sides and other aspects of who we are. You know, when I hear you talk about that, it makes me think a little bit of chicken and egg, right? Because I think that you're correct. Our our interaction with our communities, having hobbies outside of the world are very important to us. But we do see that there is uh, a shrinking of community places to go, whether it's uh, church or spirituality, worship, whether it's just going down to the lodge, hanging out with your friends, bowling alleys in Michigan. Here, we used to love bowling. They're shrinking. We don't have mm -hmm. as many places. And I'm wondering... Is it that people spent more time in work, so we're losing these community aspects, or did we start losing the community aspects, and so people started spending more time in work? Have you thought about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the answer is both. You know, in the last 30 or 40 years in the U.S., we have seen this precipitous decline of other sources of community and identity in people's lives. So if you think back to the 1970s, there were only about six or 7% of Americans that did not belong to some sort of organized religion. And if you look at today, it's something close to 30 or 33% of individuals who are either agnostic or don't believe in anything in particular. And so the need for belonging and purpose and community remain. And without these other institutions that once provided that for us, many Americans are turning to the office, the place where they spend the majority of their time. You know, if I mean, this is something that you acknowledge in the book, because when I was thinking about it, um, you're going to spend roughly a third of your life at work anyway. And so it would seem to me that with so much of one's life, um, tied up 
in their occupation, it wouldn't be the worst idea to try to make that amount of time the best you can. And I'll go you one further. I've heard this phrase, I might be butchering it a little bit, but if you shoot for the stars, maybe you don't make it all the way there, but you can at least end up at the moon, right? So if we set these grand expectations for our job, a place that we're going to have to spend a third of our life anyway, uh, Mm. even if we don't quite hit it, we might get a lot further than if we don't aim for that in the first place. What would you say in response to that? Yeah, you know, and this is a central core idea in the book and I think is a great source of nuance because, yes, we work more than we do just about anything else, more than we see our loved ones, more than we eat, and how we spend those hours matter. And so what I advocate for is instead of caring less about your job, it's more about understanding that your job is just one part of who you are. It's not the entirety of what makes you you. And it's okay to look to work for a source of identity or a source of meaning, but it's a risky game if it becomes your sole source of identity and meaning. As so many people have found out in the last few years due to furloughs or layoffs, if your job is your identity and you lose your job, what's left? Yeah. Got to diversify that portfolio as we're speaking with uh, Simo Stalzoff, author, designer, workplace expert, recently wrote the book, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Your Life for Work. Wanted to talk to him right now as a lot of us are thinking about our lives and work and how work fits into our lives, especially with the rise of technological changes coming off of the pandemic. So many things, especially affecting us here in Southeast Michigan. And we want to hear from you as well about your relationship with work out there and how it fits into your life lives? Do you think that you have the perfect job? Are you someone who's just looking for the good enough job? Do you work to live or do you live to work? What is your relationship with your work? Give us a call. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019 so that we can work you into the conversation as well. We have David Gifford on Twitter who says, I worked in manufacturing for 11 years, 10 hours a day and a half Every Saturday, uh, 10 hours a day, a day and, a half, and a half a day every Saturday. Got it. Working overtime every week meant that taking a sick day or vacation hurt our paycheck, so I rarely did it. After starting a family, I found a better paying 40-hour job, much better work-life balance. I think a question like that, Simo, gets to something that uh, a lot of people might think when they're reading this book. Uh, not necessarily one size fits all, but for a lot of people starting out, especially when you're competing against others, uh, mm. while at a micro at a macro level, you might be right. It would be better for all of us to take some time off. But at a micro level, when you've got a family to worry about, sometimes it, it can be a little um, it can be it can be nice to think, oh, yeah, I can take all of this time off when really you've got to take care of your bills, your expenses and those things rise. Uh, how does what you're talking about fit into that struggle, especially for someone just starting out? Yeah, I really believe in a seasonality of work, that there are seasons where we will be working very hard and prioritizing the workplace and other seasons where we'll be prioritizing our lives outside of work. I don't necessarily think it is a bad thing to work hard or try and build the skills and find the career capital that will allow you to advance in your career. But in the book, I advocate for a more transactional approach to work. You know, at the end of the day, a job can be a calling or a vocation or an identity, but fundamentally what it is is an economic contract. It's an exchange of your time and your energy for a paycheck. 
And I think the more clear-headed we can be about that, the better. And so if you're in a phase of your life where you're hoping to take care of your loved ones and provide for them, yes, maybe your definition of a good enough job is a job that pays a certain wage. I think the example from the gentleman on Twitter is great because it shows that instead of treating work as a means of self-actualization or searching for a vocational soulmate, he keeps in mind that you know his job is a means to an end. It's a means to put food on the table and put a roof over the head of his family. And I think if we're more clear-headed about that relationship, the better off we'll be. You know, vocational soulmate is an idea that I first found out about even from your book. It wasn't something that even uh, set out in my mind. So when you're talking about things like vocational soulmate, for those of us who might not be so familiar, uh, what kind of culture are you talking about in work that uh, you're you're ta- getting at when you think of things like a vocational soulmate? Yeah, you know, call it a vocational soulmate, call it a dream job, whatever term you want to use. It represents this ideal that there is this perfect job out there waiting for us, that we won't be the fullest version of ourselves until we've found it. And I think that culture is very much amplified by social media and an age where people love to parade around their professional accomplishments for the world to see. I think it was really born out of the the turn of the 21st century when we saw the rise of industries like tech that said, you know, you can come here and change the world or on WeWork's co-working space walls, they plastered, always do what you love. But if you think of happiness or fulfillment as the difference between your expectations and your reality, this idea that a vocational soulmate or a dream job exists out there for all of us can create a lot of room for disappointment. There's this professor that I rely on in the book uh, from the University of Michigan named Erin Check, and her research focuses on the idea of, of passion and how the advice to follow your passion can actually exacerbate inequality because not everyone has the same access to passion jobs. And so if we tell people carte blanche to you know, go out and do what you love, follow your passion, but those opportunities aren't equally accessible, it really benefits people who have the privilege to be able to weather the storm of passion jobs. So for example, in in our field, in journalism, a lot of the entry-level opportunities, they don't pay a living wage. And so you see a lot of early career journalists who have parents that can subsidize their rent or have to rely on some other support outside of their paycheck in order to get by. And in this way, you know, passion is something that is an excuse that to pay workers very little. And instead of framing work as, as a passion or as an identity or as a vocational soulmate, I think we would be better off of thinking about our jobs as a living and not the entirety of our lives. There's a lot of truth to that comment. And when we return here on Detroit today, we're going to get into a little bit more of how we arrived at that, maybe some solutions on how to get out of the idea of finding the perfect job, finding better work-life balance. We're going to enjoy our conversation with Simo Stalzoff a little bit later on and speak with you. Make sure to give us a call as Detroit Today continues here on 1019 WDET.
WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson, having a conversation about our relationship with work. The perfect job, is that something that we should be looking for attaining or would it be better for many of us to find the job that's good enough? A little bit later on, we're gonna speak with people, college age kids, folks who are getting just out of college as well, looking at how they're interacting with the workplace, what they're looking for in jobs and in their lives uh, here in Southeast Michigan. We'll have that conversation a little bit later on. But right now, joined by Simo Stalzoff, who recently wrote the book, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work. And in it, Simo, you have a host of stories that you use as jumping off points to get into some of the ideas that you really unpack in the book. One of them I'd like you to tell us about is the story of Divya Singh and her experience navigating through the corporate world. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and why you thought it was important to put that in the book? Yeah, so Divya's story represents, I think, the extreme of pursuing your dream job. So she's a culinary school graduate who moved out to work for one of the top chefs in the country at a three Michelin star restaurant. And after working in the kitchen for a few years, the head chef did her one better and they went into business together. They started this uh, consumer packaged goods company. And Divya really oriented her whole life around this job. She lived in an apartment down the street. She moved away from her family and her friends to be close to work. And she poured all of her blood, sweat, and tears into growing this company. She was a young worker when she began. She started the company when she was 23 years old. And after seven years of working tirelessly to grow this company from an idea into a profitable multi-million dollar business, she decided that she wanted to take a step back. And so she let her mentor and her co-founder know that she wanted to take a step back from the company. And I won't ruin the ending of the book, <laughs> but the short story is that her co-founder screwed her over. He zeroed her out of her equity ownership in the company. And when Divya asked him why, he said something that I think is very indicative of some of the misplaced expectations that we put on work. You know, she thought this was about more than work, that it was about family, that her co-founder would really look out for her. And at the end of the day, her co-founder said, I'm sorry, Divya, it's just business. And I think that really elucidates what many people have found out recently in, in the pandemic due to a changing nature of work. You know, you can treat your job as your calling or as your identity, but often employers already treat work transactionally. They hire employees who bring value and fire employees who do not. And so treating work as more of this exchange of your labor and time for a paycheck is a more clear-headed way to understand what is the true nature of our labor. Yeah, understanding the transactional nature of what we're doing is very important there. As we're speaking again with Simo Stalzoff, the author of The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work. And we want to hear from you as well during the conversation. 313-577-1019 to let us know your story. Have you reclaimed your life from work? Is it something where you feel as though uh, there was a point in your life where you were spending all of this time working and then you realized, wait a second, I shouldn't be spending this much time I don't work to live, I, or I don't live to work, I am working simply to live. Or do you think that we have this all wrong? Do you look at Gen Zers coming up and you're saying, 
they're not putting enough time in the office. I had to do it. You should do it as well. Give us a call, 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Simo, I do understand what you're saying about the fact that it's just business is a phrase that many of us have heard uh, in the transactional relationship with work. But I also know in dealing with some folks who have been at the top of the suites, uh, some CEO types, some people who've owned businesses, I think it looks a little bit different when you're the business owner and you have people working from you, right? You have a real big passion about your job and you legitimately feel like everybody should be spending all of their time working for the profit of the business because it is your baby. So you do honestly think to yourself, this is what everybody should be doing. In fact, if you're the type of person maybe who even got to that level, it's because you're the type of person that you do enjoy putting all of that time and work and don't understand why other folks wouldn't feel the same way. Do you have any response to the person who has that kind of mindset? Is this an application, the good enough job that should work for them? Or are you saying that, nope, for some of us, maybe we should take a step back for other of us? Go full steam ahead. It's okay. I do. You know, I think it's a, it's a great question because it's something that I think we all wrestle with. How much of ourselves should we be giving to our job in order to get ahead, in order to advance in our career? And how I'd respond is to say, take a long view. What does sustainable productivity look like? If you are a boss or a manager and you want to attract the best people, and you want to retain the best people, and you don't want your people to burn out, this sort of work around the clock mentality is not necessarily in the best interest of producing quality work. You know, there's this idea from a more industrial economy that the amount of time you put into work will always lead to better work. But especially now, as we shift towards more of a knowledge economy, where our output is not necessarily just physical goods, but often ideas and things that require the space for our minds to process the inputs that are coming in, to synthesize everything that we're learning. More work hours does not always lead to higher quality work. And we're seeing this borne out in some of these studies that are happening around the world about the four-day work week. You know, a lot of these countries and companies that have reduced working time on a weekly basis have seen no reduction in productivity, and some have actually seen productivity increase. So I think it's incumbent on the bosses and the managers to model the type of culture they want to create in their country. Sure, there will be periods at the end of the quarter or at the end of a big project where you might need to go a little bit above and beyond, but hopefully that's balanced out with a approach to work that allows us to be sustainably productive over the long term. Yeah, you know, that's something that we've actually looked at here on Detroit Today as well, taking a look at productivity, whether we could be more productive if we moved to a shorter work week, a 32-hour work week. And if you're listening to the show right now, and you are because you just heard my voice, you can go online to WDET.org and check out that old episode as well, not that long ago, where we really dove into that subject. As we move to the phones right now, uh, and we're going to get into having someone from uh, that just called in. Join us right now. It is CB in Canton. CB, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for taking my call. And uh, really great conversation. Uh, I look forward to reading that book. Uh, uh, one thing I would like to chime from my experience uh, so far in the workforce is like uh, often a passion uh, initiated uh, 
job like uh, on the candidate perspective uh, uh like uh, the jobs that involve passion uh, over the pay uh, they often pay less yeah. and uh, they they are susceptible to betrayals uh that happened to me as well uh like i had a similar story uh what uh, we just described about uh, uh like culinary school candidate and then uh, doing business and then she was deprived of uh, mm-hmm. uh equity yeah. uh yeah and then uh here is the thing like uh, interest based uh job often pays you decent to lead a lifestyle right. to manage the certain like uh, uh, aspect of the life. Yeah, no, CB, CB, I really do appreciate you jumping in and giving yeah. us that perspective, so, especially being someone who mentioned that, yes, uh, just like you, we had the example of getting one here locally that sometimes when they say, hey, this is a job that requires passion, it's really just a way to pay you less, right, Simo? Yeah, I have a mentor who has this great line, and she says that often all that passion will get you is the excuse to be paid very little. And there's this concept I talk about in the book called vocational awe, which is the idea that there are certain professions or certain lines of work like healthcare or education or the nonprofit sector that have this sort of perceived righteousness, this idea that these jobs are inherently good because they're doing good in the world. But what I found is that this perceived righteousness can actually cover up a lot of the exploitation that exists within these fields. When, for example, during the pandemic, teachers were told on one side of their mouth that they're doing God's work and out of the other side that they should just make do with what they have. Or healthcare workers were told that you're essential workers, but not given any additional compensation or protections in order to honor the severity of the work that they were doing. And so I agree with you, CB. It's often in these fields where there are a lot of people that are in it for, quote unquote, more than the money, where workers get the short end of the stick. CB, again, really appreciate you joining the conversation and adding that insight as we move to Mike in Beverly Hills. Mike, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Yeah, so what I wanted to mention was that I think early in my career, it took me a while to figure out that spending a lot of time working at, uh, at work, my job, wasn't really the key. The key thing for me was to figure out how to align my, uh, my efforts with the organization. So I had to try to learn to work more um, effectively, uh, more intelligently, um, and... Uh, Eventually, I was in a position uh, where I was able actually to go back to school and and do uh, get into a profession where it was more my passion than just effort. Yeah. But I realized that that's not always available to people, so I was pretty fortunate. Right, right. Mike, I do appreciate that. Mike, you also make me think of the idea that uh, in, in various jobs that I've had, it, when you're working really hard, you know, the boss will never tell you or won't necessarily tell you. They won't realize you're working too hard. Bring it down a notch, man. You could be more efficient if you, you know, just get us to 90 percent and use some of that effort on something else. But if you're not working hard enough, they'll definitely tell you that. So sometimes you can 
can lead to a situation where maybe you're expending extra energy that not other people are or aren't necessarily giving you a greater value add, but the business doesn't do the job of telling you to maybe tamper that off. Uh, but I present both points to you there, Simo. What do you say in response to Mike's point about the work-life balance uh, or not uh, working a little bit more intelligently in what you do? Yeah, just you know, going off what you were just saying, I think particularly in today's economy that has more opportunities to work than ever because often you can work from the office in your pocket from our cell phones and work can kind of seep like a gas to fill all of our unoccupied space. And so that's why I really advocate for being intentional about the times when you're on and off the clock. You know, Mike, even for a job like yours that you're passionate about, that you have uh, a genuine interest in, you might be even more susceptible towards overwork or driving yourself to burnout because it's harder to draw those lines between when you're working and when you're not. So for people, especially if they do like their jobs or do derive a lot of meaning or fulfillment for their jobs, I would caution them to make sure that they're not neglecting other sides of themselves, that they're also taking some of the time and energy of their weeks and investing it intentionally in their relationships or their communities or a sense of who they are beyond just a producer of economic value. Absolutely. Mike, hopefully you were able to do that as well. Again, going back to school and finding something that you enjoyed a little bit better. Thank you so much for joining our conversation, Mike and Beverly Hills. As I move to Twitter right now, where Jin says, my problem is that I had my dream job as a newspaper arts reporter for nearly 12 years, then got laid off and that broke me. I think women with families in particular embrace those Mm -hmm. jobs hard uh, when they have them because they want that balanced sense of themselves. And Jen, I really appreciate that perspective, especially from the perspective of of women who maybe were uh, prevented from getting some of the best jobs, some of the jobs that a lot of us would fight more for. They were kind of kept out of those jobs. You really get that sense. And it's like, hey, now I have an opportunity to really advance here. And uh, you get that taken out from you, that can be kind of tough. But I present that to you, Simo. Is that a story that you heard a lot when you were talking to people uh, in preparation for this book? Definitely. And I'm really glad you brought up the gender point, because I think a lot of these lines of work that we consider to be passion jobs or care work where you're serving someone else are feminized and by extension devalued. When we frame work as a calling or as a means of service, as opposed to what it actually is, a job, we can give the permission to employers or managers or bosses to treat workers poorly. We see it as this uh, individual choice to enter this field. You know, there's this librarian that I profile in the book and her first manager told her, you know, no one gets into this line of work for the money. And while that might be the case, that's not entirely true. Every job people do to get paid to a certain extent. And especially with some of these more care-oriented jobs, we're still seeing the fallout of the expectation that people aren't doing them for a livelihood. You got to love that we have all of these jobs that we do find so important, as you mentioned, but then it's very important, but not important enough for us to pay you. 
adequately or even increase your wages in that level. I do find that to be a little bit odd, as again, we're speaking with uh, Simone Stalzoff, author of the new book, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work. And we want to speak with you as well. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019 to tell us about your relationship with work. Searching for the perfect job. Do you have the good enough job? What do you think of work-life balance? How does that fit in your life and from what you've seen? your relationship with your job. Give us a call. I got to say, Simone, this is your first book, which is pretty impressive to make it on Detroit today. I thought we had a two book minimum here, like your comedy (laughs) show, but you snuck in with the first book. Obviously, you were really inspired then to write this one. What caused you to decide to write this book? What was your inspiration to get into this subject? Yeah, well, you know, the cliche is that you write the book that you need to read. And I think for me, in my 20s in particular, I was really looking for that dream job. And so I worked in all of these different industries trying to find it. I worked in advertising, and I worked in food, and I worked in tech, and I worked in design, trying to find a job that will help me self-actualize, will help me be the fullest version of myself. But, you know, as my mom likes to say, wherever you go, there you are. Even though I had found jobs that I thought might help make me feel fulfilled constantly, it ignored sort of the tedium and the monotony that existed in every line of work. And so if we expect our jobs to be the silver bullet, to be our sole source of identity and meaning and community, it's not necessarily something our jobs are designed to bear. And so the origin of you know the book and the title is really an idea to push back against the idea of a dream job. You know, the good enough job is a foil to the dream job and it allows you to define what your version of good enough is. And so you can stay conscious about the ways in which your job can be a means to your life as opposed to the other way around. We're speaking with Simone Stolzoff, Stolzoff again, author of The Good Enough Job. And when we return on Detroit Today, we're going to speak with you, not only Tim in Pontiac, who's going to give us the perspective of a business owner, but also speak with a couple of people, a few people who are getting into the workforce here in Southeast Michigan, looking to make their mark on work. We're going to do that next when we return here on Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. So make sure you get involved with the program and you can give us a call as well and we can work you into the conversation learn more about your relationship with work we'll do that next when we return on detroit today WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station.
It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson as we take a look at our relationship with work, searching for the dream job. Is that just something that prevents us from finding a little bit more happiness in what we do? Is a job that's just good enough, sufficient, so that we can do other things to help define ourselves, work with family, work with our communities, work with uh, fun and better ourselves, empower ourselves in other places, and find more fulfillment in other aspects of our life. We're doing that right now with Simone Stolzoff, who is a author behind the book, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Your Life from Work. And I want to bring in another voice into the conversation right now. Tim and Pontiac, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi. You know, I own a garden store, been in business for 70 years, been working it for 40 years. Um... This is a conversation that we have frequently with other business owners. There's nobody who wants to work. And a small business generally takes care of their employees way better than a large corporate company. And the conversation I'm hearing seems to focus more on the corporate relationship with employees versus a small business. And the opportunities for somebody to grow and uh, make their own path in life is much stronger in the small business community than in a corporate situation. So, Tim, However, I do, I do, I do want to jump in here because I do have a question um, related to that because I, I hear what you're saying there. But my thought would be, if this is an economic decision then if the opportunity for the worker would be better with the small business, and I know small business owners, so I hear about this struggle all the time, uh, wouldn't that take care of itself? You would say either the financial reward is great enough that you're going to be able to get some people from corporate life or other factors, for example, self-fulfillment, if we're going to talk about that, or opportunities to move up, enjoying your job, work-life balance. Some other aspect of your job would be enough to uh, recruit those folks in. Why isn't that factoring in, if you can let me know? Well, I think part of what you just said, uh, working enough, you just want to do enough. You don't want to do more than that. You want to just have enough so that you uh, can balance your work and life, which I understand. But the attitude that I'm finding is people only want to work enough. They don't want to do any more or less. They just want to get enough to get by. Now, as a business, a small business, you know, the small business community employs a vast yeah. majority of the, of the workforce. But who's going to be the next owners in the future if people are, are taking the attitude that they should only work enough? Nobody, you know, you, you got to, who's going to be the next employer? We want to give that command. I have a lot of great employees. That, that's fair, too. But Tim. nobody wants the responsibility. Yeah. I mean, it takes responsibility and commitment to a job. If it's a good job, they should stick around. But I'm uh, finding that even the best employees sure. I hear, more I hear you, that. Tim. I got to jump in because I want to give Simo an opportunity to respond, and we have some other guests we need to bring on. But go ahead, Simo. What response do you have to Tim's concern? Well, first, Tim, I really appreciate your question, and I have a lot of empathy for small business owners, and I think you're absolutely right. I don't think the approach to try and do the bare minimum at a job is fulfilling for employees either. 
you know, in some ways you could look at even just the title of the book, The Good Enough Job, and think it is this slacker manifesto about <laughs> doing the, the bare minimum. But I think we've all known that in jobs where we're not engaged, where we don't feel connected to the work, those can be the hardest to get through, you know, the days where you don't have enough work to do. Yeah. And so in some ways I am trying to take this phrase of good enough and turn it on its head as opposed to it being something that is this resignation that jobs are necessary evils. It's actually an empowering idea of both the employer and the employee have the agency to determine what good enough means to them. That's right. And so, for example, at your small business, at your garden shop, having a more transactional relationship to work can mean setting expectations about what good work looks like about being able to inspire your employees to do great work and to understand that employees are more than just workers and the more that you as an owner can honor their lives inside and outside of the office the more likely they will be to give you their loyalty and long-term hard work. Tim, I very much appreciate your perspective, pushing back and uh, showing us the what you experience as a small business owner here in Southeast Michigan. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. And Simo stalls off. I got to let you go right now, but thank you as well for joining us on Detroit Today. When you get that second book in, so you meet the Detroit Today minimum, we'll have to have you back. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Nick. We continue the conversation with voices from the Southwest Detroit area. Right now, we have with us in studio Nia Patterson, who's a Detroit songwriter and artist who is a business major at Wayne State. We have Gustavo Vasquez as well. He is a Michigan State graduate who currently works at the Michigan Department of Environment and Great Lakes Energy. Gustavo, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Nia, I, we got your mic working right now because I do want to jump into this as we get our third guest here to discuss this. You've heard a lot of the conversation that we've been having right now, and I would be interested to know your perspective, especially being someone who works in a creative space while still also looking at business as what you want to be a major or what you want to do perhaps for a career. Yeah. So tell us what your perspective is in terms of what you've heard right now and where you find what you're looking for in work as you move out into the working world? Um, yes, I, a lot of what I heard, I definitely agree with. I think, but I do think that finding your dream job is important. Mm. And a dream job could be, it doesn't even have to encompass all aspects of whether you want riches or a lot of status. It could be a job that allows you to have time for your family, that allows you to have the money to do the things that you want to do outside of your job. I think a dream job could be anything for anyone. It doesn't have to be just this big aspirational thing. Sure. So you're saying that a dream job could be, I think what we're looking at then, or what I want to find out from you is when you're talking about your dream job, is it just in terms of finances and allowing you to have more time with your family? Or would you expect to get other things from it, like a sense of, uh, of pride? Uh, would you want to find your best friends? Would they also be working at this job of yours? I mean, would you expect to get your all aspects of your life fulfilled from that job. Is that what you see as a dream job? Mm, I would say yes, in a sense that it allows you to pursue your passion, it allows you to feel fulfilled, and then it also allows you to feel fulfilled outside of the job. So it just allows your life to feel like this is my dream job because I make money being able to do what I love and still have time to do what I love outside of it. So what are you doing right now? Did you find your dream job? I think so, yes. Okay, what do you do? <laughs> um, I'm a singer, singer-songwriter right now. 
Um, I do get paid, but obviously not a lot. So it's very infrequent. Um, and I do like sideline, like real job. I do. I work with my mother in property management, and that's just like the regular nine to five. But obviously, it's not as fulfilling as following my dreams of being a singer. So a job that allows you to not only earn money, but do what you enjoy. I think that you and Simo might be on the same page there, but I'm going to loop you now into the conversation. Gustavo, who uh, is a graduate from Michigan State, tell me about what you found in looking for work and currently uh, doing your work. What do you do for a living? And uh, do you think it's the good enough job that you've searched for? Or are you still looking to attain more from your employment? Okay, well, I'll start. Um, because I had a, I think that I had a different attitude when I was in my undergrad. Because um, when I was going through that, I was definitely hoping I would get something that would be just you know a lot of money going into engineering, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I went straight into my master's because I got offered a really good opportunity, so I did graduate research work and all that. And then you know I sort of had a, a change of heart, um, and ended up caring more about you know being fulfilled in the work I do. Um, and so I knew, you know, I had a buddy from the lab that ended up working at, at you know, at Eagle at the, with the state. Um, and he was telling me about how great it was and how fulfilled it was. And so I thought that being able to apply the knowledge I've learned, you know, as an engineer and use that to protect, you know, the state's waters and our environment and the public health would be, you know, pretty satisfying to me. Um, even though I could definitely get paid more in like the private sector, um, I think this is a really great opportunity, and it's something that you know has like soul, heart, and I know that the people I'm working with also feel the same, which is pretty important to me. Yeah, I can hear you even getting a little uh, worked up while you're thinking about what you're doing there. It's nice that you were able to find your fulfillment. Is this something that if you just rode out the rest of your time, you would be happy doing the job that you currently have uh, for for the rest of it? Um, well, yeah, I sure hope so. Okay. I mean, it seems like these, um, like the people I would work with are, it would be, you know, really great to work with and have, you know, very similar views about, um, you know, the work we do. And, you know, it's not necessarily, it's obviously not profit driven. So, um, I really like that side of it. Yeah. So honestly, I can definitely see myself, um, you know, being in it for the long haul. Definitely. Very good. We want to loop another voice into the conversation right now. This is Marissa Oren, who's attending Lansing Community College as an engineering major. Engineers taking over Detroit today right now. Marissa, you've had an opportunity to hear what we've been talking about right now. And you're out there. uh, Are you currently working or are you looking for a job right now? Oh, I'm currently working. I'm a waitress actually right now, just to fund for college. So. And when you think about not only you looking for your job, but also your friends as you're currently attending college, what are the things that are most important for you in a job that you're looking for? I guess what's most important is um, to love what I do eventually. Like, obviously, being in college, I have to have a job, like, to fund for that. But I want to eventually graduate with a degree and do something that I'm going to enjoy for like many years. So I guess that's really important. Well, and then um, I think to support myself, like 
be independent and be able to support myself with a good paying job is important as well. So for you, if I'm getting this correctly, it's more important that it's something that you enjoy and at least is able to take care of the bills versus doing something that maybe pays you a little bit more, but you might not enjoy it as much. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I want to ask the three of you, because I think a lot of folks listening right now, especially people who are maybe more in what we'd categorize as Generation X and maybe older millennials or all millennials, there's this idea that younger people out there are not interested in working. We even heard from a call a little bit earlier on that he said that, uh, or he had the feeling that a lot of the folks who are working, they're just trying to work enough to get by and not really uh, trying to put in the time. I present that question to you, Nia. Is that something that you think you've seen around uh, yourself with your friends and other folks that are just trying to work enough to get by? Or do you find that there is more of a what we might call work ethic? And uh, why do you think that is either way? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. I think that we just want a job that feels worth it. Mm-hmm. I think that we want a job that feels worth our time and that will get paid what we're worth because a lot of us, you know, we may not, we may be working at McDonald's or a convenience store right now, but that might not be the end all say all. So it might you may get a little bit of okay, lack of luster to want to work, but that's just because that might not be where they see themselves in the end and just see themselves worth being worth more than just the typical job or Okay, you could be here for 20 years. It's like, no, I want more. I want to do more. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Gustavo? What do you see from uh, yourself and friends around you? Are people just trying to get by with their work or are are they willing to put in more effort into the work? And why or why not do you think people are putting in not as much effort or putting in more effort? Why do you think older people are saying, you young folks, you're just not working hard anymore? Yeah, you know, uh, I'd I'd love to answer that question. And to start, among my peers, um, no, I know I've been surrounded by hard workers, basically, uh, you know, among my among my friend group and my peers. They're all very hard workers, um, and they want they want to you know they want to be proud of the work they put in. Um, now, um, the catch is that nobody wants to feel like they're being taken advantage mm-hmm. of. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think, um, especially people you know Gen Z or whatever, or especially really pushing back um, on jobs that they feel may not be, uh, you know, compensating appropriately um, or taking advantage of them or, you know, what, you know, hostile working conditions, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, you'll, you'll be, there's definitely more of an, you know, an outcry uh, regarding that sort of things, but right. no, I think in general people want to work and yeah. they want to be happy of the work they put in. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing as well. Marissa, I got the same question for you in terms of what you see out there at Lansing Community College, uh, people saying that uh, young folks don't want to work anymore. What response do you have to that? Is that what you see? And what's the response that you would have? Yeah, well, I I mean, my friends work hard. I feel like for what they want, they want this degree, they're going to work hard for it. But it's also a completely different time nowadays. And like, if people aren't enjoying their jobs, um, they probably aren't going to want to work as much as someone who would enjoy their job. You know what I mean? So, 
Yeah, no, I can understand that as well. And I think that's a kind of an overall take I have here. It's this push-pull between, well, wait a second, we want you to work harder, but then if you want me to work harder, why don't you compensate me more? But then some people say, hey, if I compensate you where I think is more, you're not working hard enough. This is an eternal struggle, guys. I was dealing with the same thing when I was a first-year uh, associate at a law firm. So let me tell you, as much as I hear this uh, conversation right now, it seems like the eternal debate. But uh, Nia, Gustavo, Marissa, Thank you so much for joining us here on Detroit Today and lending your expertise. That's going to do it for us on Detroit Today. Tune in tomorrow where we're going to get you a preview of movement. We're going to be joined by one of the originators of Detroit Techno, Kevin Saunderson, as we prepare for the Movement Electronic Music Festival happening this weekend. It's 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection for news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.